The Athletic. This is Why Always Us. I'm David Mooney. Sam Lee is with me. Hi, Sam. Hello. And this is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. Throughout January, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than £1 a week. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Um, the only place really to start this week, Sam, uh, I, 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 we're speaking the day after the uh, the demolition of West Bromwich Albion. Um, it's, it feels like, we were saying we wanted to see evidence of City having turned a corner. It feels like that corner is well in the distance now and they've turned it and they've long since kind of got on down the corridor, haven't they? Yeah, I was kind of thinking that corner was Chelsea uh, and that was back at the start of the month, which is probably only three weeks. But it was what about seven games ago? <laughs> I was going to say about, about three weeks, but about fifteen games. <laughs> and then, and then after that, it was okay. Well, United. I'm not going to use the word. Well, I am. I am going to use the word bad weather again. <laughs> but United in the Carabao Cup was always going to be good after that because it was like, well, okay. In December, everyone knows the defensive approach and and like the kind of reasons for that. So it would be interesting to see how City approach that game again with their new kind of more attacking system and. Yeah, obviously the good vibes continued, and that that game feels like a long time ago now. And like as people were saying on Twitter last night, um, it just I don't know. It kind of echoes of the good old days, really. Obviously, City been playing really well recently, anyway. But yesterday, that was that was like peak City under Guardiola. And look, I know it's West Brom. I know it's West Brom. But um, like after that Chelsea game, when I said when I wrote the article saying this game, this kind of performance has been weeks in the making you know they've they've changed things around they're much more attacking now something has clicked um so i know it's west brom but just the fact that what is it 11 wins in a row now and yeah. seven in in a row in the premier league like this this isn't something city have done since they were winning the title and just the way they're performing Look, i know it's west brom but i mean it, it could have been a lot of teams well, yeah. let, let's put that into context as well, because um, it, uh, when City won five in a row, they were the first team to do it this season. So therefore, they've become the first season, first team to win six in a row this season, first team to win seven in a row this season. They're putting a run together now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, so they were heading into that kind of six-game run of, well, like winnable fixtures. Um and obviously they're they're getting through that, and they've still got Sheffield United at home at the weekend, and then Burnley away, and then obviously it's it's the proper crunch, isn't it? It's it's a difficult February with you know Liverpool and and Spurs and Arsenal and um, Champions League, and then you know at the start of March it's United. So you know that's when we're gonna you know I'm sure there's people who don't support City out there today going oh well you know they've only had you know poor teams recently. We'll we'll see what they're like in in February and March, and look we will see what what they're like and and how things change, but. I, I don't have many doubts at the moment that City can carry this on. You know, they might they might drop a point somewhere for, you know, they might have one of those games when they just can't score and uh, a, the breakthrough doesn't come. But um, I I think that would be a blip. 
I don't I don't think they're suddenly going to start spiraling back to the performances of October November because it's just a completely different setup now. It's just it's just different in every way. Well, let's let's also look at, at that uh, inability to score because we were talking like last season and 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 the start of this season we were talking about City's inability to finish off chances. And the way I was doing that was, and it's not a perfect way of doing it, but I was illustrating it by talking about things like the Spurs game and looking at City's XG and how 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 they haven't scored compared to what they would have been expected to score. Uh, against West Brom, City's XG was 2.06 and they've scored five. Yeah, at half-time or something, it was like 0.78 and they've got four. But uh, like I don't know, how often has it been four and they've scored what? So, I I don't know. The question is, though, are they starting to score more chances now? Is that is, is that the difference? Uh, I don't think so, because, like, the goals last night, they weren't, you know, you're seeing... The, the, because what I think the problem with City's finishing is, is when you see the white to the goalkeeper's eyes, you're in a one-on-one, what are you going to do with it? And, you know, Sterling is the great example of that, and Jesus as well. And they're not scoring any more of those. And last night was similar to what I said after the Palace game, when you know, obviously City scored from set pieces, they scored a couple of goals from outside the box. And you think, well, it's not evidence, you know, statistically speaking, it's not evidence of City carving teams apart. And you know, does it bode well the next time that City play a really good, organised, solid defence like Palace at the Etihad? Is there a precedent here for them being able to carve them open and create spaces? And you could, you could worry about that, or you could just think it's not a bad thing to be able to score goals in a different way. Like Liverpool, even when they finished second to City and then they carried it on when they won the league, they were like massively overperforming, like XG from like set pieces or something like that you know they were incredible at scoring goals from set pieces and you think oh well it's going to even itself out and look i'm not sure if that's evened itself out this season with them that you know they, they've got their own issues for various different reasons similar to what city had last year um but what i'm saying is i don't think you need every game to cut teams apart if you can if you've got enough quality in your team to get the game won, to get different kinds of goals, and look, it's long overdue that City have been scoring from crosses and and set pieces and corners, and it's long overdue really that um they're they're taking those the, I suppose low xG chances, but you know what I mean. The ch- like the Gundogan yesterday from the edge of the box, but that wasn't like this is where kind of I don't want to get too bogged down in xG because it is handy in showing, especially last season, how City dominated games but didn't win. And it shows how you know how they did have the chances, um, but you know that Gundogan chance was good. You know the game had opened up. You know the the finish. You know there was an op- there was a, a big angle to shoot at. There was a big space to shoot at. Um, so those chances were perfectly good enough. And also like for his for Gundogan second goal, he won the ball back in their box. That's something City have been doing a lot. They have been. It seems to the eye anyway, to my eye at least, it seems like they've been winning more back in the final third. You know we've been talking about pressing for about eighteen months. And it seems like there's an element of that coming back in as well. Um, so yeah, they're just they're creating different types of chances. And look at the, at the end of the day as well, top teams are going to have players who are really good 
at, at scoring difficult goals. Yeah. The, the one goal that really filled me with encouragement, though, was uh, Raheem Sterling's because it was a classic City mm. work the ball to the byline, get the goalkeeper to the near post, get it to the back post, and the, and the, the guy at the back post can't miss. Yeah, I need to I need to wind that one back and have a look at because um, there was a chance that was cleared just before. But I I wonder if it was exactly like the old days. And as soon as the ball went back to Rodri, I would imagine West Brom pushed up and Mares running behind, and that's why he's in so much space. And Sterling obviously used that trigger as well for when West Brom pushed up to go in behind and be yeah. in, and be in the space. Because yeah, that is exactly like the old days and. Rodri switching it out to the right is kind of like Fernandinho always used to switch it out to the left and they'd always look for Silva or whoever was coming around the back from left back. Um, so yeah, there's just there's, there's just different ways. But yeah, like I say as well, sometimes you're going to have people who um, who are just good at, at, at scoring goals and that's where the XG model kind of falls down a bit. And I, I know like Mason Greenwood isn't the best example because he's not had a great season. But last season when he broke through, everyone was like, oh, well, you know, he's outperforming his XG and you know, is it sustainable? But he was, or is, really good at scoring those goals that look ridiculous. You know, little backlift, going the wrong way across goal. Like, if you're just good at that, it you're not overperforming XG. Like, that model applies to every player. But if you're good at scoring from outside the box, and now if we apply this to City, and I'm trying to think... I suppose Gundogan is a good example of this because the goal he put in the top corner against Palace and the two last night from outside the box, I suppose they're probably quote, low XG chances. And I'm sorry to anyone listening to this who isn't asked about stats at all, <laughs> data analysis. But you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not they're not one-on-ones. Yeah. But Gundogan is a good enough player, clearly, to execute those chances. A few, more, so, more than once, yeah. So, yeah, so does, it, so does it worry me that City, you know, maybe didn't create a hat full of clear one-on-one big chances that I kind of talk about a lot when I talk about the creativity of De Bruyne and things like that. And in fact, that's my article from the game. You know, how City have been sharing that chance creation around recently, even when De Bruyne was in the team. And now without him, they've still got plenty of options. And, you know, you would think they look okay to cope without him. Um, but it, yeah, when you've got players like Gundogan who can score from outside the box, when you've got players like Foden, who again scored that goal against Brighton for the, the 1-0 from outside the box, when you've got players like that, it doesn't matter. And when you've got like Diaz, I'm sure Diaz should be scoring more from set pieces. And I'm sure he will. And I'm sure he'll contribute even more. So the fact that City are using their centre-backs to score from set pieces, and again, Rodri should probably be getting more. So between Rodri, Stones and Diaz, they've got three players in the air really good to aim for there. So the, if City is starting scoring goals from set pieces, that's fine. And obviously, look, if we just break out of these the shackles of data analytics in general anyway, how many times would title-winning teams from the past, you know, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Leicester, have won games. Oh, well, they maybe didn't create the best chances, but who yeah. cares? Like, the City, I'm, try- I'm trying to think, like, I'm just thinking uh, a big goal from a corner that won an important match, and I'm thinking company against United in 2012. Yeah. That was from a corner. Did City create a hatful of big chances in that game? Christ knows, I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. You know, you, you need to win games. That's the most important thing. And what City are doing is they're getting their good players in enough good areas to have chances and create chances and, and score chances. And that's the difference to the start of the season when they weren't clinical and they weren't creating loads either. So the chances of winning the game were much slimmer. If you think back to that goalless draw at Old Trafford, they had two, well, one great chance in particular when it was Mares and he was one-on-one, but he missed it. And you think if they were clinical, they would have got those points earlier in the season. But now they're creating so much and they're getting so many 
players in good areas, then it's just like, well, it's almost like that that kind of semi-myth thing about Guardiola and in the final third, it's just up to the players to, yeah. to sort it out. Like when you've got Foden and Gundogan and even Sterling's creating loads as well. When you've got players like that and you're getting them into those areas, which is what City weren't doing, then good things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, you just want to pick you up. You said uh, about Rodri um, maybe weighing in with a few more goals. He's trying. He is trying his hardest to score what it's oh, a will be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how many has he done this season? Where where he's, you've got Christ if that in? <laughs> I know at least five. It's been a while. That one last night. Um, it, it made me think it's been a while because he went through a, a period. Maybe it was kind of November time again when he was he was really doing it. And I mean, he he hit that one at Burnley really hard last year, didn't he? Which was yeah. probably his best game for City last season. The one at Wolves on the opening oh, yeah. day was, was honestly, if that would gone in, that was goal of the season on the opening yeah. day. It's yeah, just... yeah, 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 that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Uh, let me run you through some of the. I know we're not getting bogged down in numbers, Sam, but I want to. I, I am fascinated by how the table shapes up at the moment because uh, we're at the halfway point for for City now. Um, after the defeat against Spurs, City's goal difference was minus one. And at the time yeah. of recording, it's now plus 23, and that's the best in the league. Um, at the time of recording, again, they're one goal behind the league's leaders. Uh, that's uh, Liverpool. They've got 37. City have got 36. Uh, on level games, we're speaking before Liverpool play Tottenham on Thursday as well. Um, and City's defence is now four goals better than anyone else in the league. Se- uh, yeah. Second is Spurs, who've conceded 17, and uh, Spurs have played a game less as well. To illustrate kind of how how good City have been defending in, in the last few months, uh, you know, two, you know, nearly two fifths of City's Premier League goals against this season have been scored by Leicester in that second game. And uh, what yeah. what was it since uh, since Diaz's uh, debut? I worked it out before. Uh, since Diaz's debut in the third game, um, you know, forty six point two percent of all the goals they conceded in the Premier League were before that. <laughs> like yeah. nearly half the goals they've conceded this year were in the first two games. Yeah, and it's mad because, like, we again, I think we've probably covered this enough, but I've talked about this attack, this attacking shift, and how things have changed since the derby. But the de- the, the defense has been pretty good all season, apart from that Leicester game. Um, obviously, there's there's different things that have changed, and and the way they've been defended, you know. So again, October, November, it was well, if we just keep the whole team solid, we've got Gundogan and Rodri here, and they're keeping the ball, and we're not giving the other team chances at all, then they're not going to score. We might not score too many either. But that's how it's going to be. And I was actually listening to uh, um, the Double Pivot podcast, um, which I wasn't aware of, but it was recommended to me um, on DMs the other day. And I was listening to it a bit on the way down and a bit on the way back from the West Brom game. It was one they did at the start of December and they were talking about City and they were talking about whether they are or aren't clinical. But they also were talking about the defence. And it was it was interesting to listen to most of that on the way back when City had won 5-0 and they were flying. And it was kind of heartening just to say, because these guys, obviously they watch football, but they're really, really deep in the numbers. It's the, um, it's the guy called Michael Cayley, who you probably see crop up on Twitter, because his, if you see like a map of XG chances, it's him who's been doing them generally. Yeah. So it's 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 his it's his podcast, and they so they're looking at it from a very data heavy point of view. So on the one hand, it was funny to be driving back now six weeks later, and City is so good. But on the other hand, it was heartening to listen to other people go, "Yeah, City really weren't doing what City normally do." Yeah, because I, I started to think, was I just being ridiculously harsh on them? But I mean, it was very different earlier in the season, wasn't it? But what they were saying even then was. City's defence, you know, they were the only team at that point, so I think it was the start of December, the only team at that point to have conceded fewer than 100 shots 
they concede the only team to have conceded fewer than a hundred crosses. So what City were doing and have been doing all season is just keeping the opposition away from the goal. It's a bit like that 1-0 win at Bournemouth in 2018-19, which isn't easily remembered that game. It was when Mares scored the winner with a bit of a, a fluff. Yeah. Um, but they didn't even concede a, a corner. There was no shots on target. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure they conceded many free kicks around the box. And that's an extreme example. But this is, but that, and that was when Guardiola went to Bournemouth to be like, look, we're going to tighten up. And this was, you know, this was the title winning season, the last title winning season. And what, yeah, what he was doing at the start of the season is just let's just keep it tight and we're just going to strangle teams or we're going to protect our defence. Um, but I think now he's seen the defence doesn't need protecting as much as it did last season. Like, yeah. I think there's more trust. So he, so he doesn't need to say, Ilkay, I know you're a great player at scoring goals and I know you could probably play number six on your own, but can you just help Rodri out? Or, Maybe that sounds a bit harsh on Rodri. Let's say Fernandinho as well. Can you just sit in here and help the team out? Stay there. Don't let people get at the defence. But now, he's moved things around. Obviously, Zinchenko's come in. And Zinchenko's doing a fantastic job in there. Like I think Zinchenko's performances differ depending on the person you ask. Because I think with Zinchenko, he's probably the player who's least trusted on the team. Like, if you were to do like a global survey of City fans of players you would want in possession on the ball. Zinchenko would still be quite high because of how he plays. And I think he'd be getting higher because of how he's played recently. But I don't think he's the most trusted player on the ball or kind of defensively. And some people watch him and think, oh God, he's uh, you kind of highlight the mistakes. But then some people watch him and highlight the good things he does in possession. He's a very strange player that the jury's still out on. But he's been very important. And he's had better games than others in this recent run but he's been so important for kind of helping to retain possession doing different jobs so for the first bit yesterday he was busting a gut to get up on the overlap or the underlap around Foden but then you know generally he was staying in the midfield and he was kind of staying in that position to do what Gundogan had to do which allowed Gundogan to get forward and just all these things um are just it's just allowed City to defend with the same solidity that they had at the start of the season but they're just they're so much more creative because exponentially of it as well. yeah. better to watch and just more like the old city and just so much more creative and threatening and I mean what I want to know and I'm gonna make the phone calls this, this afternoon because I was on I was having a phone call on the way back from the game last night and it's just after that derby we were you know we were kind of like forgiving on city after that derby and we were like they need to you know they they decided they're going to be defensively solid and they don't want Rashford to go and score on the counter-attack. And it's not the city that we know, but, you know, at least they've done this defensively. But the rest of the season, what we want to see is, you know, can City go on like this? Can they win the title like this? And to be fair, you made that argument of if you can be defensively solid, then maybe you can do it. But what I want to know is what made Guardiola think we need to change now? And not just change it gradually but just go right we're going for it now well uh, and then let, let it me, didn't really me... work against West Brom because they went for it but it didn't really work they weren't great and I think he's admitted that recently but then since that like it's it's obviously the bloke's a genius obviously he's a genius and he comes up with these things so it's no surprise really that he would try something and it would work if you look at you know the last 12 years of his career but it's so strange that in October and November they were playing in such a way and he was in such a kind of bad mood that I've even again I've seen people on Twitter note 
like noticed today they were like he's in such a bad mood at the start of the season and now he's fine like what changed and how did it happen so quickly and that's what i want to get to the bottom of and i hope i will but i mean maybe it will remain a mystery forever this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna talk about that West Brom game because I thought it was interesting. I I, I don't normally I don't like making private texts uh, um, public, but you said to me at the end of that West Brom game that the United game was was shit by design and the West Brom game was just <laughs> shit. And that that's kind of I, it was almost as if that might have been the impetus to go for Guardiola to go look. We can't carry on like this. Uh, but I mean, but I think the impetus was already there. Like the impetus, bef- uh, the impetus was before the West Brom game. Because, I mean, yeah, I wasn't very um, complimentary of that performance. But um, at the same time, so I had an article to write about that West Brom game. And, you know, there was conversations with editors and stuff. And it was like, you know, what is going on? Like, is is this, you know, are we getting to the territory where we need to be like, you know, can Guardiola rebuild this team? And I was like, look, let's, I was like, give it, I was like, let's let's give it a couple of games because they at least tried something different. And what I did in the end was, like I mentioned before, I did that, why City aren't looking themselves, which was neither a criticism and it was neither kind of exonerating them for not playing well. It was just, well, they haven't got these players. Here's, here's what's been going wrong. Sort of. These are the reactions that have happened. And this is the situation. I was kind of buying myself some time there because I thought, I, I, I'm not committing fully to this, what's Guardiola up to kind of bandwagon that was kind of forming a bit or, or possibly could have formed because um, I just thought well there was something different there and I remember speaking to a, a mate who he rang me the day after the game and he he's in a group of City fans and he'd fallen out with a couple of them because the others were just saying this is shit like what is going on here like he's lost the plot and my mate was like, I just don't see it that way. He was, like, he goes, they were, they were moaning about the double pivot, um, this kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, I was like, to be fair, and again, I've said this before, I was like, it wasn't a double pivot. And even when it was, it was because both fullbacks were attacking. You know, there was a front four. Guardiola was going for it, like it didn't work, but he was, he was at least trying. And then it went back to what we'd said before about the derby and how, like, okay, it wasn't great, but at least he kind of did it by design. And there was around that time, I was kind of thinking, maybe there's there's something because something's at least changed in the intention and in the end um i mean I th- we've seen that, that that that's what i mean it, it's just worked so guardiola it's just, i don't know because the mad thing is he's obviously gone right we're changing it and we don't need to be as ultra defensive as we were but we're going to go all out and just the fact that maybe the first idea was both fullbacks attacking which he very rarely does and Gundogan was getting forward a lot, and Gundogan was very good in that game. Um, and you could see that something was changing. 
but it wasn't quite clicking. And then he's just gone, like we said this last week, and then he's just gone, oh, well, if I bring the left back into midfield and keep the wingers wide, then we're going to be fine. And it just seems like that can't be the thought process because surely he would have just thought, oh, that's what we did in 2017. <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously the Cancelo thing, which I'm going to, obviously I've been wanting to write about it for a while, but I want to make sure it's it's got everything that I can possibly say and everything that possibly needs to be said. Um, so hopefully going to do that this weekend. But I mean, the Cancelo thing, uh, talking about where Guardiola's come up with these ideas, he's not only as he said, well, okay, well, well, we'll use the inverted fullback, you know, come into midfield and play ticking over. He, he's added on the extra attacking midfield a bit as well. And, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's why, I mean, I know I, keep, I know I keep going back to this, but Guardiola stuck with that inverted wingers, double pivot, slow football for two or three months. And maybe it was a fitness thing to control games. Um, maybe it was just, uh, this is the best way I can play with these players because we haven't got a proper left back, so I can't do it. And we haven't got a David Silva replacement and we haven't got a prime Fernandinho um, and we haven't got a number nine. So this is just what's going to happen. I, I don't know. But the fact that he stuck with that so much and then he just went, right, we're changing now. And then he went, right, Cancelo is going to, be our key player like it's just it looks <laughs> genius like, it's, I but, but like at the same time as much as he's a genius i i can't believe it kind of took so long i, I want to know what that kind of what, what the click was, was. Yeah. yeah exactly um let's touch on a couple of players before we move on uh phil foden uh made his uh well in his first 100 games he's got uh, 85 wins and that's the most yeah. by any uh, any player in the first 100 games for city that's uh, that's from stat city on twitter um he's I, I, my friend alex said to me recently um or, or said in the group of city fans that i'm in uh recently it, it dawned on him recently that if city had had foden 10 15 years ago they'd have had to sell him oh what, like john Wright phillips yeah and yeah. like this 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 kid is go this kid could go on to be one like just a huge player for city city fan came through the academy from the local area and with numbers like he's posting honestly it's like the future is so is so bright for him yeah i, I was speaking to i was speaking to someone who knows him and other and other players last night and we were talking about other players who aren't at city and he was like, yeah, this lad is... He was like, this lad could either, you know, be at the very top or you know, playing in non-league. You know, it, it completely depends on his attitude. And I thought, oh, well, that's very honest for somebody who, you know, normally people who know football are very kind of loyal to them and, you know, think they're great and, and don't take any kind of criticism. But when he was talking about Phil, he went, I don't say this kind of thing a lot, but Phil Foden is going to be the best player in the world. <laughs> and it's like, like, and and just the fact that there was there was all I'd also heard the thing about the other guy who you know could could be great or could be non-league. I just I just think, yeah, like how special is this? Yeah, like twenty twenty years old and just understands everything. Yeah, These and the fact that, I mean, like technically amazing. The the very the strange narrative that's developed around him about not playing enough this season. Like I like I, I don't know a City fan that looks at the team now when Foden's in it and goes, Thank God he's in it because he's a he's a starter. He is a regular starter for City now. Yeah, he is, but this is a weird one. I, I'm, when I wrote about him the other week, probably after the Brighton game, like that whole idea that he doesn't play enough. Like don't I don't think that's just an external thing. Like it is. Like the the when the when like the media, like newspapers or 
or like BT or whatever say, oh, you know, it's a rare start or whatever. That's that's like misleading. But like, there's plenty of City fans. Again, going back to October, November, when the football wasn't great, and Foden when when he was playing in the Champions League and he was making things happen, and then he didn't play in the game at the weekend in the Premier League. There were plenty of City fans who were saying he should play more as well. So that's like that's an idea that that's a mutual thing. That's there's plenty of City fans who have who have said he should be playing more as well. Um, but you know, part of it is part of it is you know physicality, you know. He's not. They've deemed him not able to play three games in a week. And look, when he's been like seventeen and eighteen, and he's quite slight anyway, that's like that's completely easy to understand. Um, but obviously, yeah, part of it is just the fact that he's kind of so forward thinking. And when he was playing, he was trying to make things happen. But he was playing in a team that quite were doing quite the reverse. You know, they as we've talked about at, at length already, they weren't trying to make things happen. They were saying they were giving the ball to De Bruyne. And maybe, you know, getting Mares to come inside and Cancelo to attack and saying, well, you crack on, lads. We're going to stay back here and stay stable. You make it happen. Um, but there was nothing else. There was no other kind of risk and reward payoff there. Yeah. So it didn't really work for Foden. So that's why he didn't play him against Liverpool. That's why he didn't play him against Man United. But now, if you're playing those teams, when everyone's asked to get forward and making incisive passes and good runs and, and create space. Ferdinand's your man, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, something you've you said in that, um, flicked a switch in my head as well there, because uh, there's a comparison that I want to make now that I, I, uh, I'd never thought of before. Um, you said about him having a slight build, and my first gut reaction to that was, yeah, he does, but like pound for pound, he's actually quite strong, and like he, yeah. he, he's quite good at, at holding off opposition players when well, they come in to, to try and uh, bully him around a bit. And it yeah, made me I think, think of Aguero. Maybe think of Aguero, low centre of gravity. Yeah, um, I wonder if that... I don't know. I'm trying to think, actually. Because like there have been games... So I think it, it was that West Brom game again, the one or not, not the 5-0, when... No, I mean, look look how... This, is, this tells you everything you need to know about the change in the team in the last five or six weeks. So he got taken off against West Brom. Um, I think he was the only sub, the only attacking sub Guardiola made. And it was Foden coming off, and people were annoyed about that. Um but people, you know, in the kind of decision-making areas were saying he was he was too easily knocked off the ball. Like, he was just getting, like, battered around a bit. And that's part of the reason he got taken off. Um, but And obviously last night he got taken off because they were like, right, we're falling up now. We need you. Don't yeah. change it. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, he, is, he has bulked up a lot and obviously does like, a lot of like, weights, you know, dedicated programs with City and stuff. But I don't know, is it because the thing with Aguero is Aguero is short and stocky, and I bet he's a pain in the ass to play against. I bet he is so fucking strong. Like I bet he, I bet he, he can back in, and you ain't getting round him. But with 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 Phil, I think it's more of a technique thing, and he's so you know, slight. But also there's that kind of sleight of hand, sleight of foot thing, where like a bit like Bernardo when he was dribbling yesterday. Yeah. Bernardo's body moves and the players go out of the way and the ball's in the same place and he, but he's beat him just with a little feint. And I think that's Foden. It's the way he gets it on the half turn and the way he can manipulate his body and the ball and drop a shoulder and go. I think that's what gets him out of spaces like that rather than having like really big, strong legs and a, and a big ass like Aguero's got. I think there's a slight difference there. 
Are you stuck at home, bored of Netflix, and have realised that there's a reason people only play Scrabble once a year? Well, The Athletic is coming to your rescue. With the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK, we'll be putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find our most knowledgeable subscriber, and of course, to raise money for a very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK help fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and information for men and their partners affected by or worried about prostate cancer. We'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for a great cause. We'll be running a quiz for every team that we cover, which of course includes City. Me and Sam have teamed up to write the questions for that, haven't we, Sam? Uh, yes, we have, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I did alright with yours. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how I do with yours, so we'll, uh, we'll yeah. find out on that one. Uh, the winners of each quiz will be going through to our grand final at the end of March, where there's a nice £1,000 up for grabs, and we'll match this with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK too. The quizzes will be hosted by the correspondent for the club, so Sam, you'll be hosting this one. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. Sign up for a free 30-day trial with The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash PC UK. So Sam, an interesting question came up uh, on Twitter in the week. Uh, Man City Tactics asked us, uh, can you discuss Jesus, lads? How do you see his future? Um, and it's interesting because we discussed Sergio Aguero and his future on a recent podcast, and that's on the feed from a couple of weeks ago, if you'd like to go back and have a listen. Uh, but today we're going to spend some time looking at his strike partner. He was definitely bright and exciting when he arrived in 2017. Uh, he was used by Guardiola to give Aguero effectively a kick up the backside. And I want to read you this tweet of mine from October 20. 2017. The, it was October the 14th, uh, and it was the day that City beat Stoke 7-2 at the Etihad, and three days before Aguero broke City's scoring record, uh, I said, I can't wait until Gabriel Jesus breaks Sergio Aguero's City scoring record. And it's probably fair to say, Sam, that things haven't quite gone to plan since then. Uh, no, uh, it's, a, it's, a, hmm, it's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? I mean, what I think what I decided about a year ago, maybe a bit more, was just to stop looking at him as the Aguero replacement and to stop comparing him to Aguero in any way, shape or form. Um, because he's just, I think you've either got that kind of clinical edge to you as a striker or you haven't, and you've got that from when you're born or, you know, when you start coming through. Um, and, you know, we, I've, I've written a lot, a lot about Jesus um, and probably will again soon. Um, very complex character, works awfully hard. The pressure he puts on him on himself is is very high, and that's the case to this day. Um, but the other thing I kind of accepted about Jesus is there's going to be with players like this conversations like this every two or three months. Yeah, is he doing enough? Is he good enough? Should he still be at City? And then for a couple of months, I'd imagine. Although it's been a while since we've had this conversation, to be fair. But normally that switches back the other way. And people, you know, you'll see tweets about people saying, I can't believe anyone ever doubted Jesus. He's obviously brilliant. And it's going to swing like a pendulum, quite possibly, for his whole career. Yeah, well, that, that's the interesting thing, because I want to play you this from, from Guardiola after the uh, Real Madrid game. Um, th this is after the second leg. Jesus, obviously, instrumental in, in both legs. This is what Guardiola said. I think Gabriel was man of these two games. He scored in Madrid, he he provoked the penalty, and today make the assist the first and scored a goal. He was so decisive for us, being helped for the, of course, old team, the way we fought and we suffered in the bad moments. A lot was made about, obviously, Varane's mistakes for the two goals, but they came about through uh, Gabriel's determination to go and chase 
those balls? Do you think that both of those goals summed up what he's about? Yeah, obviously. So Gabriel always helps us more than the goals, but of course, for a striker, it's important to 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 score. I think the big players have to show in the biggest stages in the big games, and he showed it twice against the king of this competition. He showed it twice, so I think he make an incredible step forward to say, "Here I am," and uh, and and I can win games for myself. What's most interesting about that, Sam, is uh, that there's the, the criticism of him tends to come, certainly from City fans that I see, tends to come that he misses chances. Like you take the Cheltenham game at the uh, at the weekend, he misses chances in that game that yeah. that you would expect him to score, and that it, it's it's when he goes through these scoring patches, he scores three or four against a lower league side, and then struggles against you know top of the Premier League. So uh, I had a, I, I dug into his goals and his numbers. Uh, only 10 of his 73 goals for City have been against lower league opposition. Six of his 43 Premier League goals have been a, a, against teams that went on to finish in the top six, and seven of them were against teams that went on to be relegated. So like, the bulk of his goals have been against the, the, the kind of middle ground opposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, five of his 13 Champions League goals have been in the knockout stages. So um, we're talking against uh, Liverpool and, and Real Madrid as well. There. So maybe... Like I'm just worried that he might be this enigma that we're never going to be able to solve, as you say. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and like when the other thing, probably the most telling thing for Guardiola there was he was like, look, he's shown he can take this step forward against the the big teams. You know, big strikers need to score in big games. Um, but that again, that's not something that he's built on. Oh, to be fair, he did score that good goal against Liverpool. I'm genuinely not sure if he meant it or not. The one at the Etihad with that great turn. Um. But yeah, I think why those stats, you know, those stats say he doesn't, you know, he doesn't score loads against the big teams or the small teams. It's just in the middle. And then we talk about, you know, he scored against Liverpool, he scored against Real Madrid, he scored some big goals. I don't think it it matters who he's playing against. I think it matters how he's feeling. Yeah, um, that, could, that could be the that could be the crux of this. I think I think yeah. it's that. I think it's that. I, I, I've I've. Like I said, I've done enough on him. It was over a year ago now since he scored that hat-trick in the Champions League at Zagreb, which again, is that was in the middle of another really tough run he had. That was when City... Uh, they That was that was after or just before? Well, either way, it was after or just before the derby at uh, the Etihad that City lost to United. And he missed a good chance then. And it was after Newcastle, which was a two-all draw. Um and even then, De Bruyne put in a great cross to the back post for Jesus to score the winner, even after the late Newcastle equaliser. And he didn't make a great connection with it. And so when he scored that hat-trick, I was thinking then, well, these are great, but it sounds harsh, but these are pointless goals. Or at least score one tonight, this is a dead rubber. But you'll be much better off, you know, because those three goals count towards his tally. But it'd be much better off if he scored one against Newcastle, one against United, yeah. and one against Zagreb. But... He doesn't share those goals around enough, but also why I mentioned that Zagreb game, because that's when he did the mix zone afterwards. And he was like, when I miss, I want to shoot myself in the head. And he kept saying it. And he kept saying stuff like, I beat myself up so much. Um, and, you know, and sometimes I think too much. I'm, I can't remember if he said, I don't want to mischaracterize what I said, but I'm pretty sure he said something like, when I go through on goal, I'm thinking so much, what if I miss, what if I miss? I'm sure he said that. It was either that or after a miss, he beats himself up so much or both. But, it's that element of it. And I was speaking to somebody who knows him after the Cheltenham game, not just after he scored. And again, 
I've, I've actually given two examples today of people who were close to footballers and that were actually very honest about their performances. But he was like, he needed that goal. He, because he was bad today. Like he, he really needed that because he would have suffered. Um, so when he scored that goal against against Cheltenham, I, I thought he would he would start against West Brom, um, just in the name of trying to give him some confidence um, and and get him to go on a run. But it just seems like these runs never stick. I mean, maybe last year was was difficult because again, I remember writing another article about Jesus. It was the it was February. What kind of time was it? Middle of February. So it was kind of getting towards kind of Champions League big game. Um, and it was like Jesus needs to kind of step up now because this was a couple of months after he'd said that about Zagreb, and then he came off the bench, I think he did, and scored the winner against Leicester at the end of Feb, and then obviously he scored the goal against Real Madrid, and the people around him were like, "That that's a good thing, yeah." He, he's come back from a difficult run. He scored the goal um, against Leicester, which was huge, and then he scored against Real Madrid, and then he can build on that. But obviously, not long after that, kind of football stopped again as well, didn't it? Um, but he just. Yeah, he he works so hard and does so much and thinks so much. It's and like and I I know for a fact this isn't something he's just not improved on over the year. This is, I'm not yeah. assuming that he's still hard on himself from a year ago. I've had that confirmed to me, you know, four days ago. So he's still very hard on himself. And you just think, going back to what I said at the start about you know strikers are, are kind of born clinical. I don't think you get over that to become hundred. You know that I don't think you can you can overcome that to become Aguero that ship has sailed but he can overcome that to score a steadier flow of goals and to be a very good player for City so if City sign another striker next summer and for argument's sake it's a it's a big boy it's a big it's a big sign and for argument's sake let's say Aguero's gone there's so much merit in still having Jesus around because he does bring so much to the team Um, and he can chip in even last season when he was like he was the problem. I think he was the worst culprit in the league for missing big chances. Yeah, those one-on-ones we've been talking about. It's often him, and it's often Sterling over the last eighteen months that misses them. And I'm not sure if that's going to get better. But he still chips in with twenty goals. I think he still had his best goal-scoring season last season. I mean, those goals, obviously, like the you know the Zagreb hat trick, kind of shows that they're not all equal. Those goals, but those goals can still be valuable. He still has. Um, a place in the team to show and you know we probably should touch on in a minute the the other stuff he actually does do off the ball which sounds like a throwaway line but actually is really important yeah well I've got his goals numbers Sam so in in his first full season in 17-18 he got 17 goals in 42 appearances 18-19 was 21 goals in 47 appearances and 19-20 last season was 23 goals in 53 appearances and it's it's worth saying as well that you know this is appearances so it's like it could be that includes like four five ten minutes off the bench it's not it's not starts um, and he's doing all this where Aguero is ultimately the main striker in the team as well. Um, and some of those games, he's played wide left as well. It's, it, you know, Guardiola quite often looks at the picture of the team and goes, actually, in, in this setup, Gabriel Jesus is going to be my, my player on the wide, uh, 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 the left of the front three. Yeah. I mean, what I think it's important to do with a player like Jesus, when, like I said, it's going to keep swinging like a pendulum. There will be. There will be times when people are saying he's crap and there will be times when people are saying he's great. And I think it's important from our point of view to talk about him now in the middle of this drought, bad patch, whatever, in the same way as we would talk about him if he scored four goals in six games. Like, I wouldn't get... If he started to score that, we might say, okay, maybe he's going to carry on this now and, and be clinical forever. But, you know, I would be, I'd still be conscious of the fact that he might 
not score. He might have a barren run. So I'm still conscious of the fact that over the next month or so, he might still score plenty of goals for City because I think now we've seen enough to know that this is just how he is as a player. So I yeah. think we can have we can have this judgment no matter what his form is. But I think I mean, his barren runs. Uh, I, I think he's. I, I, I meant to check if there was a longer one, but I found when I was looking through the the goals that he scored, the, the longest that I, I I noted before I actually went looking for it. I forgot to to finish it off and check the rest. But he, he went through a thirteen game spell without scoring, mm. and that's that's the sort of thing that we're that that we're talking about here in that. I, I wonder when he gets on those those runs. If you know, if he's beating himself up about missing chances, he might be beating himself up about the about the amount of time that he's not scored since. Yeah, it's like definitely. if he's if he's in his own head that much, then yeah, yeah, yeah it's can... the pressure he's playing under would be phenomenal. Yeah, definitely, uh, and that's why I think like he he just seemed like the the classic example of one of those strikers that just needs to score a goal no matter how he gets it, and then he might be able to go on a run. But I mean, I, I appreciate he's been struggling to even do that recently. Um, but yeah, the, so when I mentioned that podcast I listened to, the Double Pivot podcast, that was recommended to me by somebody who who'd messaged me and said they had kind of an idea for an article, and it was about Jesus. And I've not had, I think this was Sunday night, I've not had enough time to wrap my head around it because of just other work and you know lockdown and everything. But it was about it was about the whole concept of strikers. It wasn't just Jesus. It seemed to me a much bigger thing than just my remit. I, it's something I'm going to speak to our data and analytics guys about because. The gist of it is there are these strikers who are fantastic at kind of getting in shot positions and getting in chances and creating chances and doing other things that have got value. But because we see strikers as, does he score 20 slash 30 goals a season? Yes, then he's good. No, then he's shit. You know, do we need to kind of reframe how we think about strikers a bit? And I, even I'm sceptical of that thought. Yeah. Like, like, like when people were saying... I think Gary Neville said last year, oh, Firmino would get in any team in the world. I was like, well, Firmino is really good, but Aguero does a lot of stuff outside the box as well, and he scores loads of goals, so I'll stick with a striker who scores goals, thanks. Yeah. Like, like if, if you're doing both, then like nobody can ask any more than that. And while Firmino was obviously, like, he's obviously a huge part of what that Liverpool team did, the fact that people were then saying, oh, he would play in any team in the world, well, it depends on Depends on the team. People who have it's... got better strikers. Like, goals are still fundamentally important. I'm not going to sit here and say Jesus should play for City for the next 10 years until he retires because he presses and he creates chances. I, that's how I feel. I feel like that is important and he will play a big role in big City games, but I still feel like goals are... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm... They're much more his remit than... This isn't something I haven't thought... Yeah, this isn't something... Well, I don't know, like that West Brom game, he was so deep. And I feel like that was a ploy to pull their centre-backs up the pitch. And it might not have been an enjoyable game for Jesus to play. The instructions may well have been, Gabby, look, you you pull them out to the halfway line. We've got Phil, we've got um, Kevin getting beyond the ball. I can't remember who was the right winger. Maybe, I think it was Sterling, actually, because, yes, he set up Gundogan. So he was probably saying, look, these three guys can get by beyond you. You're not going to get many chances today. So that's not going to help him either. But And that is important. But So this thing I'm about to say, it, I've not really thought it through, but I don't feel like Jesus is as integral to City without scoring as Firmino was to Liverpool. I feel like Firmino could go without scoring for Liverpool, but he was, he was doing so much and it did allow Mane and Salah to score so much that... Um, that that was fine. That was excusable. I think Jesus, for me, don't need to score more goals as well. But I think Jesus, it's more important for him to contribute because 
I mean, for one thing, there's just more players in the team. Like people are talking now in the Q and A's and on Twitter. People are saying, "Is the false nine the way to go for City?" You know, when they're looking for a new striker in the summer, is this is this just what they do? You know, do they not need Jesus to play, or should they put him on the left? Um, I think if City had a number nine who could score goals, they would make this system work. If they had Gabriel Jesus dropping off as a false nine but still scoring goals, that would be fine. It's just the fact that City have got so many players who can do this. So if you're not scoring and you've got Foden who can drag players around everywhere, obviously he played false nine against Real Madrid. If you've got him who can drag players around everywhere, if you've got Gundogan, you know, Guardiola said he could play as a false nine. He's kind of doing the opposite at the moment. He's kind of arriving in those number nine areas. If you've got somebody else who can can provide all this movement and score goals, then it's no surprise that Jesus is on the bench. I actually thought he would have started against West Brom because of the confidence thing and the fact that he did score against Cheltenham and maybe it's an opportunity to get him into a groove. But if Guardiola's looking at it and going, well, Foden's better at the moment. Gundogan's better at the moment. Mares is going to fulfil a role where he comes in. So well, Mares was in the false nine, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, as he was against Leeds. But after the Leeds game, Guardiola said, well, he's not very strong in his pressing like Jesus, but do you need to press West Brom's defenders as much as you do Leeds? No. You just absolutely don't. So it probably made more sense to 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 start Mares there as as well for the specific qualities that he has and the fact that he could drift over to the right and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's no surprise really that Jesus isn't starting because I think what he brings to the team is important. But there's so many other players who can do it as well. And at the moment, you know, Foden scores goals, Gundogan scores goals. Um, yeah, it's 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 less of a surprise that he's not in the team at the moment. Yeah, uh, one thing I do think it's important to mention in 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 kind of contextualising Jesus's season as well is that he has had a bout of COVID, and yeah, 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 uh, yeah. he said to the BBC recently, um, "I'm coming back from COVID. This season is not easy for me. It's difficult because in the first game of the season I got injured, so it was shit for me. After when I start to play COVID, now I have to get back my rhythm, my power to try to play and help like I did this year." Um, so I mean, he's like he. It's difficult to say how much he's been struggling with that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that recently. What well, I mean, when did Jesus get it? It was it was over Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd I'd heard that. Well, there was no like serious complications, obviously. I guess because obviously those players have come back now. Um, but yeah, I suppose this is when Guardiola keeps saying it's a mystery. You know, when people kept asking Pep, oh, you know, these players coming back, how are they going to be like? He said, I don't know. Like, it affects each player differently. And so Jesus would have come back probably like around the, I'm thinking like roughly the 10th of January it would have been, a couple of weeks after Christmas. And that's only two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, you've got that, that fatigue element as well. And this is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to kind of have a, a kind of a reasoned debate about the good things and the bad things about him, just because um, there will be a time soon where he's scoring goals again. And yeah, you're absolutely right to mention that the COVID issue and the kind of fatigue that some players get after that, you know, which Gundogan had at the start of the season as well. Um, that's definitely part of it. And again, when I suppose when I'm talking about, I didn't have this in mind when I was talking about it, but when I mentioned how Jesus's movement is, you know, is such a big part of it, but the fact that City have got other players who can do it better at the moment, maybe that's part of it. Maybe other players are moving better and more freely. You know, Gundogan's in peak fitness at the moment. Um, Foden, as far as I know, hasn't had COVID, so he's he's flying as well. And maybe the reason those players are moving better than him and taking up those positions better than him and are sharper than he is, is because, yeah, because he's he's, he's suffering kind of struggling effect. with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, final question, Sam. We talked. Uh, you kind of touched on it already. We talked on that show about Aguero about Aguero's replacement. Uh, the idea of bringing in uh, Erling Haaland and all that. Uh, never once in that show did we consider it was Jesus. That ship seems to have sailed now. 
Yeah, because like I say, I just don't. I've not thought of him like that for a year or so now. Like I've just that's how I've accepted it. But what I was saying then about you know we got to accept that he'll have a bad patch and then a good patch. I I do think overall he's a very valuable player to have. Um, like and like you mentioned earlier, these goal records he's got have been at a time when you know Aguero has been the main man and he's had to either come in off the bench and score goals or come in for the odd game. And it's very difficult to get a rhythm going. So I certainly appreciate that as well. Um, and but the the only kind of question mark for me is and I well I've mentioned this before about um, I know Guardiola keeps saying they've they really rate him and I know he signed a new contract but I have heard it from very good sources on two separate occasions at different times in his career I think last Christmas like last last season Christmas and the one before that they were thinking if we can get somebody who is more clinical then we might sell Jesus for a lot of money like ninety million euros and get somebody in who has got that Aguero sense of a goal. Um, and obviously that's not transpired because it would have been very difficult in Jesus's low moments to get 90 million euros for him. And also very difficult for City to get, you know, who who, who would have those Aguero instincts? They obviously like Jao Felix, but he's been difficult to get. Very expensive. But you've, you've also like said Harry a couple Kane, of times... not going to happen. But you've also said a couple of times in, in terms of if you get that Aguero figure in and you need somebody to play back up, then... Like, who are you going to get that's better than Gabriel? Yeah, exactly. But this this is what I'm getting around to in a roundabout way. So say, for argument's sake, City sign a top-class striker and Aguero goes. And now Jesus is like, what the fuck? Like, I'm going to have to be back up to this guy now. You know, he's done that for four years. Um, Like, big years in his career. And I don't think he'd be upset. You know, he's he's learned a lot at City. It's been a a huge move for him. It's been a great... Like, even if he were to... I don't think he will. But even if he were to leave in the next 18 months or so he would go to another big club and he would have a good career and he would be very thankful for what he's learned to see. But I do, he's given interviews himself in Brazil where he's been like, look, I, I don't really want to wait anymore. So I do wonder, I do wonder if City did get another main strike and they came in and took the world by storm and Jesus was like, this is what I want. Like, I've been waiting for so long. Um, he might just think, like, look, what, what's, I want to play more. And then, you know, the conversation would then be like it always is with everybody. Um, well, you know, you have to earn it. And at the moment, I can't get you in the team. Like, a bit like Laporte at the moment. Like, I know this is a massive tangent now, but I think we're basically done with talking about Jesus. Like like you say, he's a fantastic asset to have. If City, like in an ideal world, if City get a proper proven goal scorer next, well, in the summer, and he's great next season, and Jesus is capable of scoring 20 goals as a backup, that's fantastic. I do wonder, maybe he'll think, I'm not happy about this. Um, and that's something that develops over next season. But I mean, we'll have to see. We don't know. You know, maybe maybe City don't get the top striker they want. Maybe Aguero proves his fitness and stays. And maybe it's Aguero and Jesus next season again. We're having the same conversation. But yeah, like I just wanted to mention Laporte. Oh, um, I was going to say a cheeky question here because you you did drop his name in there. And I wondered if you were going to leave it in there hanging or not. I mean, obviously he's been playing back up for a while. Stones and Diaz have been a great partnership. Uh, how is he going to be feeling about not being in the team? Uh, yeah. I, I can't say too much. Um, and I mean, if I did, I'd probably be accused of putting out a, a negative story at a time when City are doing well. So I can't say too much, but it's a tricky one. But what I will say is because, look, people have been asking me for a long time and including yesterday before the game and after. And obviously with Laporte coming on and playing where he did against West Brom. It's like, oh, is it, you know, are we going to see Laporte at left back soon? And I think that's something we've discussed and it's a role we think that he could play. But what I would say and probably all I can say, is it's not just who is the best player in the team on paper and can we get them in. It's 
What's their reaction like? Are they happy? Have they taken things well? Are they training hard? Are they, you know, all of these things. I'm not saying they all apply to Laporte, but when we were talking about, oh, so even I thought Sane was going to play more in Project Restart. But obviously, Guardiola was like, well, he doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to be here. So what's the point? I thought he was going to play. And Guardiola was like, no, fit it. And obviously, he left. So Garcia, there's Garcia doesn't want to be here, but he's, but he's playing every now and then. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, but so with Laporte, it's not just the case that this is a guy who has taken the decision brilliantly and, oh yeah, we, we still love Laporte. He's been brilliant. His reaction's been great. So yeah, we'll put him left back. At the moment, I would probably say Sinchenko has got the great attitude he's always had. He's playing very well. I can't imagine Pep is going to put Sinchenko out of the team. Yeah, I'm going to look stupid now when he starts against um, Sheffield United. But I can't imagine Pep is going to pull Sinchenko out of the team and put Laporte in, all things being equal at the moment. Um yeah, it's not like there's not been like a major bust up or anything, but it's just the reaction's not been brilliant. And I can't say much more. Obviously, though, with Guardiola bringing him on and having a look at him against West Brom, that's, I mean, that's probably something that they might be thinking about. Um, but all I would say, and all I've been saying on the QA of the last 24 hours is it's not always let's get the best guy on paper into the team. There's other things to consider as well. So yeah, yeah. I my biggest worry when uh, I saw Laporte was getting changed to come on is uh, like it says what what uh, I've been, how I've been feeling about Stones' history, but it was it was oh no, I hope he's not pulled up with something. But yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Well, that's it for this week's Why Always Us. I'm David Mooney. Thanks as ever to Sam Lee. Yeah, thank you. That was extensive. It was. Uh, if you'd like to sign up to The Athletic now, you can get it for less than £1 a week. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City Pod. The Athletic.